Hey, we're going to continue in the book of Genesis, and I have been really excited about doing this series. It's helped me to grow, it's helped me to understand, and I've heard from many of you, it just has made some of the old stories that you heard as children kind of come alive and do something for your faith, and that's been really exciting. Uh, I did hear a story uh, this week, we're going to talk about Abraham and his son Isaac today, and I did hear a story uh, this week about Abraham when he was trying to load Windows 10 on an old laptop, and it was clear that he was really having some problems with it. And his son Isaac said, hey, Dad, there's no way your old laptop can handle Windows 10. You don't have nearly enough memory on that old machine. And Abraham responded, don't worry, son. God will provide the RAM. <laughs> now, if that's not funny to you, perhaps you're not familiar with the story we're going to talk about today in Genesis chapter 22. Or perhaps you just don't have an appreciation uh, for dad jokes like you should. But let's talk about... Genesis chapter 22 today. We're going to pick up our story with Sarah having delivered Isaac, her and Abraham's promised son. She was actually about 90 and Abraham was 100 years old when they had this promised son. Now this is about 10 or 13 years later because Isaac now is a young man. We're going to see some evidence. We don't have an actual age for him. But we're going to see some evidence based on his understanding, his conversation, the things that he does, that he's probably between 10 to 13 or 14 years old at this point. And God decides to ask Abraham something that seems to be a really, really big ask. Has God ever asked something of you that seems to be just like too big? God, that's a big thing to ask of me. I don't know. Ask you to give up a particular pet sin? Serve him in a ministry that would cost you too much time or too much effort? Ask you to perhaps consider being a missionary in another part of the world or worse, your kids? Let's see how Abraham reacts today to God really asking the unthinkable. Today we're going to talk about how faith produces obedience. And I want you to understand that that is not a question. That does not say faith sometimes produces obedience. It doesn't say faith may perhaps produce obedience. But it's a statement that is direct. Faith produces obedience. We're going to see that true biblical faith always produces obedience. Not just in the small and kind of expected ways, but in some really big and unexpected ways. Does our faith match that of Abraham when he is asked by God to do what seems humanly absurd? So God starts out by testing Abraham's faith. God tests Abraham's faith. By the way, if you need sermon notes, if you'd like to follow along, all you have to do is download our app, hit the Sunday morning button there, and sermon notes will come up. You can actually take notes right there, and there's actually a box at the bottom. If I say anything that you would like to take note of, you can type that in at the bottom and save that. It'll email it to yourself, and you'll be able to save that until Jesus comes, all right? So God tests Abraham's faith. Let's look at Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. God's word says, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Wow. Wow, talk about asking for the unexpected. Now, before we get into the actual ask, 
I want to clear something up because I know that some of you still read and study from the King James Version of the Bible. And I want to make sure that you understand that here where it says, after these things in the King James, it says, God tempted Abraham. Okay? That's a very poor choice of English words. Here's why. Look at James chapter 1, verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted... I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. There's a difference between a testing and a tempting. A tempting comes from Satan or our own flesh or our own desires. It's the encouragement to do evil. God doesn't encourage anybody to do evil. But what he is doing here is giving Abraham a test. He's giving him a test. Now let's get to really the ask part of this passage. God wasn't tempting Abraham to do an evil thing, but he was testing his level of faith. Now listen, it's so easy to say we have faith. That's easy. It's it's just really easy. But does that faith have substance? Does it have depth? Does it have real meaning? Let's first look at how Abraham responded to the call of God. God just says his name, Abraham, and Abraham responds with, here I am. Now listen, Abraham wasn't concerned that God didn't know where he was. He wasn't saying, hey, here's my location, God. Here I am, right over here. What he's saying here is, God, I am here, ready and willing to do whatever you ask. I am your servant. You are my master. You are in charge, I am not. Here I am, God, ask me for anything. Do we respond to the call of God in that way when we hear our name? Now, I've never heard the audible voice of God in my whole life, not even under medication when I had some wisdom teeth taken out. I haven't heard the voice of God. But there have been times I've been sitting in a service, much like this one, and I've heard God's voice deep in here. There's been times when I was at youth camp, times when I've been at a seminar or hurting other good godly men preaching God's word. And man, there's a voice in here that I know doesn't come from me because I would never ask myself to do those things. But God does. So when we hear the prompting of God, do we respond to him in the same way that Abraham did? So Abraham says, here I am, God, ask anything. So God asks. He says, take your only son. Now, he's not his, his literal only son. It's the son. This is the son that fulfills the promise that was made, okay? Uh, and he says, go and take him and kill him and make him a burnt offering for me. What? Now, this makes no earthly sense at all, folks. I mean, This is truly, on a human level, ridiculous. It is absurd. When God calls him Abraham's only son, we we know it's not true, right? Besides Isaac, Abraham also has Ishmael, who was born of his wife's servant, Hagar. You can hear that sermon a couple of weeks ago online if you want, on fogkc.com, all the sermons are there. But Isaac is the only son that can legitimately fulfill God's promised covenant. He is Abraham's only legitimate shot at fulfilling this promise. Remember, he's now 110, 111, 12, 13. His wife is now 100. 
I mean, at 90 and 100, that was a pretty long shot. If he kills Isaac, there's going to be no shot for him to fulfill God's promise from a human level of thinking. By the way, I think it's interesting that God asks him to do this because Abraham had a very unhealthy connection to his family. Think about that for a minute. If you remember back when God first told Abraham to go, he hesitated. He didn't go until his father passed away. In his mind, in his heart, he's like, okay, God, I'll do what you say, but not yet. I'm gonna wait till things work out. I feel the chance to leave and then I'll go. He was also told not to take anybody with him, but he took his nephew Lot. So he sometimes uh, obeyed God hesitantly or eventually, and he sometimes obeyed God partially, but he didn't always obey God faithfully. And the reason is because he can't have an unhealthy connection to his family. Now, folks, this is a problem for our culture, even amongst Christians. Yes, God's word tells us to love each other, to love our families, to love our spouses, to love our children. All of those things are absolutely true and we should do them, but not at the expense of following God. If we do that, folks, they have now become our idol. If we say in our hearts, listen, I'll follow you, God, but you know, I, I can't... Uh, I can't take my kids to church this week because we've got a family reunion. I've got to go do that. And oh, you know, my kids are really into baseball. I love that. They love that. We, this is our family time together. So we're going we're gonna to push you to the back burner for a while until baseball season's over. Then we'll come back. Folks, we slip into those things without even knowing it. Be cautious that we don't become like Abraham and put our families before God. Now, when I heard this, and I, I tried to read it a couple of times this week as though I'd never heard this story before, and just like read the text, what does it say? All I know is from Abraham's past behavior, God had better be in for a fight, right? Do you remember how Abraham had bargained with God for the city of Sodom? I mean, he debated with him. He, he was kind of, you know, uh, negotiating with him. God better be ready to hear a list of reasons from Abraham on why this is really a bad idea. So let's look at Abraham's response. Abraham obeys God's command by faith. Look at verses three through eight. It says, so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place at which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father? And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. How did Abraham respond to this preposterous request? He got up early the next day and began to do it. I mean, he didn't hesitate. He got up early 
and began to do what God had commanded. Now, let's just be honest. Perhaps he couldn't sleep. I, I probably couldn't have slept if God had commanded me to do such a thing. Maybe he was just an early riser. Maybe he was just anxious to get it done. We have no listed motive in God's word why Abraham got up early the next day, but it is clear he did not hesitate. He did not argue. He did not justify why this was a dumb idea by God. He just didn't. He said, okay, God, I'm gonna do it. And he immediately acted. Now, this should be a lesson for us. I mean, if the sermon was over right here, this should be a really good lesson for us. When God asks us to do something, we should respond just like this. Quickly, without hesitation, without argument. He says it, we do it. That's it. Especially when he has already expressed it in his word, folks. Now, Abraham had three days to chicken out. Think about that. They're walking for three days. He's got, you know, 16, 18 waking hours to think about this for three days. He didn't argue, didn't change his mind, but he went forward without any indecision. Even Isaac said, hey, dad, where's the sacrifice? We've got all the the fixings, but we've got no sacrifice. Abraham responded, don't worry. God will provide one. And Abraham in that moment believed that God had already provided one in Isaac. What in the world was Abraham thinking? I mean, if, if I heard this from God, wouldn't, you know, I won't speak for you, but for me, I'd be going, hello, testing, testing. God, is that you? Have I got my wires crossed? What's going on? This doesn't make any sense. If I kill him, the promise is dead. And I've killed my one and only son. This doesn't make any sense. Well, we don't see in the text what Abraham was thinking, but God does answer that question in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11 is the kind of uh, hall of fame for faithful people. You want to know what Abraham was thinking? I'll show you. Hebrews 11, verses 17 through 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So Abraham is under the impression, uh, according to God's word in Hebrews, Abraham is under the impression that he was going to go through with it. He was going to literally take the life of his son. But he believed that God being faithful to his promises would raise Isaac from the dead. Let's see if Abraham really goes through with it or not. We see that Abraham proves his faith by withholding nothing from God, including his son. Look at verses 9 through 12. It says, when they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, 
seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. He goes through with it, folks. He gets ready to do it. Let me point out a couple of things. Did you pay attention there and see who was carrying the wood? Isaac, Abraham's only son, carried the wood to the place of his sacrifice. Does that sound familiar? So Abraham, he gets everything ready and then he binds his son and places him on the altar. Now we know Isaac is big enough, when we talk about his age, Isaac is big enough to carry the wood, but we don't see him ever fighting his father. He's either too young and small to wrestle a 110-year-old man, or he's big enough to simply trust his father completely and offer no resistance. It may be at this place that Isaac himself is willing to be a sacrifice. Does that sound familiar? So Abraham, after binding Isaac and laying him on the altar, he lifts his hand with the knife in it, prepared to thrust it into his son, and God speaks again in the same manner, calling his name twice. Abraham, Abraham, as though he's stopping him. And Abraham responds again, here I am, God, ready to do what you've asked me. God tells him not to harm Isaac, but more importantly, God makes a statement about Abraham's faith and his willingness to act on it that we should note. He says, now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. You see, Abraham's faith, folks, it wasn't just some expressed belief that was coming from his lips. It was a heartfelt conviction to exercise his belief in his actions, including giving up his son, his most beloved prized possession, treasure, however you want to call him, the promise of the future and the fulfillment of God's blessing. He was willing to give it up if God so asked. Boy, is that challenging. When we say we believe in God and his son, Jesus Christ, and we say we put our faith and trust in them, we have to understand, folks, that the proof of our faith is not in our words, it is in our actions. When we say, I trust God, but I just can't find the power to give up my pet sin. Or, I, I trust God, but I can't possibly give up that much time for ministry. I, I trust God, but I can never go door to door and pray for people. I trust God, but I can't talk to people I love about the gospel and risk them rejecting me. I trust God, but I can never be generous like the Bible says. I trust God, but I can never give up my cushy corporate job and go into full-time vocational ministry. I trust God, but I can never risk my kids' lives to go to a foreign mission field, much less let them go. Folks, when we say those things, our actions contradict our words, and our words about faith are hollow when we think those things, when we act in those ways, we aren't being faithful people. 
Abraham said, yes, I believe God. I, I trust you. I am here ready to be your servant. Let me show you. And he raises the knife to take his son's life. Man. Folks, true biblical faith always, always, always results in abandoned obedience. So now, here are Abraham and Isaac. They're ready to worship God, and they have no sacrifice. Now what do they do? Abraham thought it was going to be Isaac, and God would raise him from the dead, but now he says, no, don't use Isaac as the offering. What do I do? I have nothing. Well, like always, God provides a substitutional sacrifice. Look at verses 13 and 14. It says, And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. God does what God always does. He provides when obedience is shown. It's interesting that up until this point, the Bible doesn't say anything about them noticing a ram. Until God stops Isaac from taking the life of his son, they didn't notice the ram. It was caught in a thicket behind him. Perhaps it wasn't there at all and God made it appear, I don't know. Perhaps somehow God hid their eyes and it wasn't visible to them. But listen, that had to be making a lot of noise. I, I actually looked up this uh, week on, online, uh, what kind of noises does a ram make when it's in trouble or caught? And I practiced a little bit to show you what it was, but it sounds really goofy, so I'm not going to do it. But it makes a lot of noise. It makes a lot of, I can't believe they didn't notice it. But see, when God wants to provide something, it's always there. Now, we have a terrible habit of human, as human beings of wanting to see all the ways God is going to accomplish something that he is asking of us before we agree in obedience to do it. Think about that for a minute. We say things like, okay, God, I'll go on that mission trip if you'll give me time off for work and show me where the money is going to come from. Then I'll commit to it. Okay, God, I'll be involved in that ministry as long as you confirm ahead of time I don't have to serve every single week. Okay, God, I'll be generous and give to your kingdom if you'll show me where the money's gonna come from to pay my bills. Now think about this for a minute. Listen, focus with me. Is it possible? I mean, is it just possible that God wants to hear from us? Here I am, willing, ready, able to do whatever it is that you ask, not knowing how it's going to all work out and how he's going to accomplish it all? I think it is possible. In fact, I think it's probable. You see, we are waiting for God to show us how before we commit, and perhaps the whole point is for us to commit without God showing us how. That's, that's good. I'm going to say that again. We, we are waiting for God to show us how before we commit. And perhaps the whole point is for us to commit without God showing us how. Folks, that's what faith is about. 
True faith always produces obedience. We see then, after this exercise of faith, God repeats his covenant with Abraham. Look at verses 15 through 19. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice." So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba and Abraham lived at Beersheba. So God repeats his covenant with Abraham one last time. By the way, this is the very last time that God's word records him reiterating to Abraham the covenant. If you remember, it started back in 15 with God kind of unveiling it to him, repeated in 17, 19, 20. Here it is in 22. This is the last time that God's gonna mention anything to Abraham about the covenant before he dies. Did you notice something was a little different? God adds one phrase to the covenant this time. He says, because you have obeyed my voice. Now, God is not suggesting that his promise was solely dependent on Abraham's faithfulness. He wasn't suggesting that uh, somehow this was conditional. But what he is saying is, hey, listen, your faith, your acting in faith is the confirmation that I'm going to do this through you. In other words, we've heard Abraham's faith. Now we've seen it. Now we've seen it. It's a great story about faith, about commitment. But I want you to also see before we leave today that there's another story kind of hidden in this. And it's a glimpse of the cross of Jesus. Isaac carrying the wood to his own sacrifice is a picture of Jesus carrying his cross to his own death. Abraham's willingness to give up his one and only son as a sacrifice is a picture of God giving his one and only son, Jesus, as a sacrifice on our behalf, as an offering to pay for our sins. We also see in the substitutionary death of the lamb the way that Jesus was a substitutional death for our evil deeds. The picture of the gospel is throughout Genesis 22. Listen. Some people read God's word and they say, uh, Jesus seems to be a plan B because God's dealing with the nation of Israel through the Old Testament and they, they come and go and they waver and they are faithful for a while, then they're unfaithful and they go back and forth and back and forth. Finally, God's fed up with them. He says, hey, forget them. I'm just gonna save the Gentiles. And so he sends Jesus as plan B. Folks, that's not even close to the truth. Jesus was always God's plan A, always from the beginning of time. We saw it in Genesis 1. We're, if you remember five years ago, when we went through Revelation, we see it in the last book of Revelation. Jesus is the central part of history. Everything before uh, uh, Jesus led up to the resurrection and everything since points back to the resurrection. 
The resurrection is the absolute most important historical event in all the earth and in history for all time. Jesus was always God's plan A. And Abraham was saved by faith just as we are. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, is the simple fact that all of us are sinners. We can't do anything to stop sinning on our own. But when we put our faith and trust in Jesus and what Jesus did on the cross to die for our sins, we can be forgiven of our sins. He takes the penalty for us. He is a substitution for us. Listen, for the evil things I have done, I am doing, and I will do, I deserve to go to hell and spend an eternity separated from God. I deserve that. I have earned that. But in God's mercy and grace, he sent his son Jesus to die to pay for those things. It's like somebody picking up a tab at a really good restaurant, a really, really, really good restaurant. Jesus picks up our tab, folks. And all he does is say, listen, it's a free gift right out there. All you gotta do is put your faith and trust in me and what I did. Don't keep trying to earn something from me. Realize I've given everything to you and it's right there for the taking. Put your faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross and I will save you from your sins. We don't become perfect after that. But the sins that we continue to commit, Jesus still forgives. But those who reject the one free gift will have to pay for their own sins. And the debt is too much to pay, folks. It's too much to pay. God is saying to us, don't just speak words of faith. Confirm your salvation by being obedient to my word and to my spirit. Do our actions and behavior, behaviors confirm our faith or do they deny our faith? Are we willing to give up whatever he asks, including our very own children? Now, I made a joke in the first service and uh, you know, sometimes you guys that know me, you know, sometimes things come out of my mouth that seem to be funny in my head but aren't so funny in real life. And, uh, and, I, and of course, Casey was sitting in here, my daughter, and I said, you know, giving up my children, that's one thing, but my grandkids, whoa, wait a minute. She knows that's a joke. But, but here's, the, here's the point, though, folks. If, if Casey came to me and said, hey, I feel, like, I feel like God is really calling me to a really desperate place in the world that needs to hear about Jesus, but it's really violent. And as a single woman, my life will be at risk the day I hit the, hit the soil. Man, that will be gut-wrenching. Gut-wrenching. I can't even, man, it's just gut-wrenching. I, I can't believe it. But if that's what God is calling us to do, folks, we just have to give up our stuff. And when, I, when you hear that, I know you're thinking, oh, I can give up my car, I can get another one. I can get up, give up my house, I can get another one. I can give up my... Fun stuff, because I can find other things to do. But, but here we're talking about giving up everything in preference to the one good thing, God. I want to encourage you today. If you're here and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, please don't leave here without doing that. Talk to one of us. There are leaders all around here 
There are people that have experienced the forgiveness of God all around here. Don't leave here without putting your faith and trust in Jesus. There's a connection card right there in front of you in the seat back. If you want to talk to one of us, we'd be glad to talk with you. You can just turn that in today. We'll get in touch with you. We want to help you on your spiritual journey. But we need to be serious, folks, about our faith. Our faith is not our words. Our faith is really our actions. You're going to see an example of that here in just a few minutes. This morning, we're going to baptize Justin Clay Thermos. And uh, he is basically saying, I've already put my faith and trust in Jesus. Those are my words. In fact, I'm going to ask him the questions. You're going to hear him with his words confirm what he believes. But folks, that's not enough. That's not enough. Our faith is what saves us. God's grace and mercy come to us through the faith. But that's not real until we act on it, until it changes our behavior And because he makes that profession of faith, now he's going to do something. He's going to be baptized. That is the behavior, that is the obedience that comes from true faith. You're going to see a picture of this exact thing, faith and obedience, here in just a few moments. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the challenge that it gives us to be faithful people. God, forgive me Forgive us where we have failed you, where we have failed to be faithful, where our words and our actions do not match. God, help us to be more like your son, Jesus. Fill us with your spirit. Help us know your word. Help us to set aside the things that we want for the things that you desire. For we know in the end they are actually better for us. We know you love us. We know that you care for us. We know that you have a great plan for us. And so God, help us just to commit to that, to have faith in you because you have been so faithful in the past. God, help us to be those kind of people that don't just speak faith, but live faith. Help our community see that and help them be drawn to Jesus because of it. In his name we pray, amen.